Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Welcome back to The Coaching Show. This is Alex Terranova. You know this is not Christopher McCullough. And I think you're probably excited about that. Or maybe not. Who knows? But I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be here. You know, when you hear my voice first, you know something's different. You know that we probably have Craig, who's with us today, and we do. Um, if you've never listened before, you don't know who I am, or you just want a reminder, Alex Terranova, I am a coach, uh, a performance coach. I host the Dream Mason podcast. I wrote the book, Fictional Authenticity. You can find more about me at thedreammason.com. You can find Fictional Authenticity on Amazon. And Craig, who is my favorite co-host, is... The my favorite thing about Craig is he created the best slogan ever. And if you're not familiar with it, Craig does everything and works with people everywhere from the boardroom to the bedroom. Does it get better than that? Craig is an executive life and business and relationship coach. You can find Craig Cassie at YouTube on his YouTube channel, which is brilliant. Coaching Naked is he's not coaching naked but the show is called or the channel is called coaching naked how do you know alex <laughs> and Watch that is this friday's episode to find out <laughs> and that's denise yamada you're going to hear more for, about her in a moment uh craig cassie.com is his website c-a-s-s-i-e.com and if you want to find him on instagram which he is dropping like little gems constantly it's craig cassie jr what's up craig Got it. Good morning. I'm happy to be back. Sorry that Christopher's missing out today, but I'm grateful to be here. <laughs> he's, he's all, I mean, it's better. It's like, you know, it's, he left, he left us with pizza money and a good, you know, I, I would say VHS, but you're too, I just found out you're too young. You wouldn't have known what that is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have two years of memory of VHS. Admittedly, of memory. Enough, it is enough to know what it is. I could see it in my brain if I think hard enough. <laughs> I just had this, uh, just since I just brought it in time, I just had this realization last night. Do you remember, I don't know that you do, Denise will remember this. When we first got cell phones and you were on them, you would say to somebody, don't waste my minutes, right? Like you were, you had a certain amount of minutes and if you ran out, it was a big problem. And so there was a scarcity of minutes when cell phones started. Now with cell phones, we can't get off them. There's also a scarcity of our time, right? We were like, oh, I'm on my phone too much. And I had this thought last night that I was like, man, regardless of how many minutes we have or don't have, we don't have enough. It's, all, it's always this scarcity conversation. Do you remember that when there was not enough minutes on your phone or your channel? Yeah. Well, I was too young to, I wasn't allowed to talk on the phone first off, but I got one of those like, I don't know, dinosaurs age flip phones. I had to pay per text that mm -hmm. I sent. So mind you, in like fourth grade, I had a whopping two people in my contact book. And I thought it was so badass to send them a text being like, hey, what's up to my friend playing Super Smash Brothers and put a diamond and jar to my parents to pay my own way. Uh, it was radical to me back then. But it's funny, you're right. I have successfully, we'll celebrate this. I have reduced my phone usage 
by two hours this year alone on average a week compared to last year. And my iPhone loves to remind me that I'm still hitting seven hours a day on client calls and Instagram, but it's nice to see it go down. It was hard. It was surprisingly hard. I have a random itch, but I'm doing nothing. And all of a sudden the yeah. phone is in my hand again. Yeah. <laughs> like where? Yeah, Where'd every you... day. Every day I break a new record with how long I can be on my phone. It's it should it's not an accomplishment. <laughs> but we, this is perfect. I love you gave me a great segue because you're talking, we're talking about your contacts. Our guest had had has I don't know how sure we're gonna quite the contact list from a past career now we're not gonna ask her to call all these people which would actually be really fun um but let me tell you a little about if you are familiar with accomplishment coaching who sponsors this show uh if you've done accomplishment coaching I'm sure you know Denise Yamada if you've never done accomplishment coaching or not familiar Maybe you've been a lifelong media or news fan. Maybe you've watched Good Morning America. You might recognize her. But our guest today is Denise Yamada. She's a professional certified coach, and she's been that since 2002. She's a former broadcast journalist, and she has seven Emmy Awards, both on the local and national level. And she left that world to come to coaching. So, you know, I feel lucky always that I get to be friends with her and mentored by her. Um, but she brings her coaching and her training and that level of professionalism and integrity that she brought to television journalism um, and the unyielding love and commitment now to the coaching world. Denise's clients consistently report that with her support, they're able to produce extraordinary results. Her clients include entrepreneurs, performing artists, CEOs, stay-at-home moms, philanthropists, real estate investors, other coaches and people who want to lead more meaningful lives. And she is also a senior program leader with Accomplishment Coaching. I've been fortunate enough to work with her, uh, been trained by her. I get to work with her in a program that her and I created together called Get Loud. Denise, welcome to the coaching show. Thank you. It's so great to be here and to see the two of you. Alex, of course, we get to see each other regularly because of our program, uh, Get Loud. And Craig, Hey, so good to see you. Craig, of course, has taken our course. And I yeah. loved it. If you're considering it, I say it definitely added value to my life. It got me out of my own zone of being stuck. Oh, yay, that's great to hear. Denise, yeah. um, I think the first thing is that I'm, you know, you've, you've been a coach for how many, since, for how long now? Um, I was actually a uh, a coach with another company, I would call it like a lay coach. I didn't have any training, just kind of like on the job go. I probably did that for two years just for fun, you know, because I was interested in the material. Uh, but I came to accomplishment coaching in 2003. So I would say officially with training, uh, a bona fide coach since 2003. And you did the, was it, was one of the first programs, right? One or one of the earlier programs. I yeah. I, I think the program I was in was perhaps the third program ever of accomplishment coaching. Yeah, it wow. was crazy. So you've been, I mean, you've been around, watch, you've seen a coaching program basically grow over the last 20 years, put out I'm th I'm, thousands of graduates, right? About th thousands of- Over a thousand, yeah, yeah. And you've seen people be, become super successful in the coaching practice. And, and I want to tie this back because you also were in, how long were you in the in, in news and media for? 
uh, just under 25 years, 23, 24 years. So you saw the same thing there, right? You saw programs grow and Good Morning America likely becoming, you know, growing bigger and other shows around you and, and people. What's that like to see to see something kind of in its in a, an earlier phase grow to, you know, have set people up like me and Craig and, and so many other people in, in media and in coaching? Yeah, great question. Um, I think my answer uh, differs depending on what what part of my life, what career I'm talking about. If I look at my career as a broadcast journalist, um, yeah, 23 years. When I very first um, became a journalist, it was at the ABC affiliate in Spokane, Washington. And when I arrived there, they had just... Um, completed their transition from film into ENG, electronic news gathering. So that tells you how long ago I entered the industry, right? Uh, and so I've seen technologically all kinds of changes in the industry, obviously. But from, a, um, from an inner perspective or a contextual perspective, what the most I think in that industry is I, I became a broadcast journalist um, because I related to it as a public service. I actually related to myself as a public servant. And I don't know that a lot of people, whether you're, regardless of what side of the camera you're on, relate to journalism that way, especially you know, the past eight, 10 years, but I did it because I was serving the public and that seems to have shifted. It seems to be about celebrity or making money, you know, being fame, having a following, that kind of thing. Not wrong with any of those things, of course, but the place that I came from is so different than what I think, um, how many people regard the industry these days. And then for coaching, which if you look at things uh, from a time perspective is, perspective is probably still in its infancy, if you think about it. Coaching is still a fairly new um, industry. And the biggest change that I've seen is that now more of the people that I run across are familiar with coaching rather than, oh, what's that? Or you're an athletic coach? <laughs> uh, so that's the, the biggest change that I think I've experienced over the past 20 years in the coaching industry and coaches want to be I mean I, it's funny that same I feel like coaches want to be famous now the same way right people probably got into coaching from like service and now there's this coaches can be famous personal development game whatnot sure. but that's an interesting I would I, that parallel is also really interesting you make sense of the time too we have Instagram and social media that I mean back then maybe we had MySpace <laughs> and chat rooms so there is such an even bigger, I think, clearing for each one of us to claim our own, I don't know, broadcast vibrancy, if you want to call it that, to, to be on loudspeaker regularly. And I'm curious for you, Denise, since well, we're now into the 30th year of the profession of coaching, and we're talking about innovation across the board, what's the innovation you've seen coaches actually create in the last decade that's supporting them in creating Say the last part again, Craig. Yeah, what's the innovation you've seen coaches lean into in creating the last decade? Um, 
again, I think it depends on the coach. My experience is that a lot of people who are or were consultants called themselves coaches in the beginning. And we know now, right, that there's a distinction between coaching and consulting and, and counseling or therapy. Um, I Just from my experience observationally, I think the innovation was going from consulting perhaps a group to coaching a group, and then from coaching a group to individuals, taking it from a professional realm to a personal realm. Innovation is really a great topic because there are so many ways that you can relate to it. So just from, I'm gonna call it the inner perspective or the outer perspective, the inner perspective of just how do we work with people to um, everything is virtual now. Right, our program, the coaches training program, started out as a um, boutique, in-person, live, really rich experience. And because of the COVID pandemic, we've had to shift so that we're virtual. Even you know, Zoom is an innovation. Did I ever think that you know it would be such a huge part of the coaching and training I do now? No, not at all. So, um, but we're ripe for innovation, don't you think? Oh, completely. I think we're hungry for even more on this side yeah. of the pandemic than we were before. We're, we're awoken to new means that maybe we forgot we even had. Mm -hmm. And of course, possibilities as a result. Well, you know, here's another thing. If, if you want to talk innovation, and again, I'm talking inner or contextually, how often in the beginning as coaches did we come in with the thought, oh, I'm here to fix people or help people be better in their lives. And that we don't, especially as ontological coaches, do that as a practice. Even that is an innovation relating to people as their greatness and what's possible. You know, so rather than taking people from down here and bringing them to you know, average or normal, we're talking about you know, from good to great. You know, so even that inner shift in how we relate to people to me is innovative. I love that. It's, I noticed that with clients myself, they'll have clients that will say something like, maybe we should take next week off because I don't have anything to talk about. Nothing's wrong. Exactly. And I remember the first time I said that to my, one of my coaches and they were like, well, this is when the coaching really starts, right? We, you, you thought the coaching started because you had all these problems in your life. The coaching starts when it is, everything's good. And now we get to go to that next level. And, you know, every time I hear that, I think to myself, um, why aren't we teaching young people this? Like, what if we took what we know now as ontological coaches, you know, what we know now about the personal narrative that lives in the six inches between our ears? What if we taught that to, you know, people when they were going through puberty, you know, or, or younger? Like, what kind of transformational effect would that have on the planet? the same thing with money too. We talk about money or, or sex narratives we have in the States, very different from what we experience in, in Europe. And you find the research says most of us only get taught about money by our parents. And even then, most of their families aren't having the money conversation because there's shame or there's fear. We don't want to make a mistake. We'd rather not talk about it. So there's so many places where we can explore a ontology, the being we have in relationship with these things, but there's so much more room to teach and to actually go into probably where people feel there is some darkness or some depths. That's what I love about what you said, the innovation of coaching. 
polling people, seeing them as their best already as good, is it really clears a way to have conversations around shame that let you move on from it and move forward and stop letting that unspoken narrative hold you back. I'm also thinking about how it's the same in news, right? The positive stories or the things that are good to great in a way are not as maybe sexy or as appealing. And maybe they are, right? But but it seems like news will often take the like the the more scandalous, like dramatic, illicit story because it grabs our attention, right? And pulls us in. I, I don't I don't know that we even want to get into it. Denise, I remember you telling me a story. One of the first times um, that we had worked together, I don't remember where we were, but we were walking and we were talking about your, your news experience and you shared with me um, one of the first times in your in your meet in your media career when they said, hey, you're gonna lead with this story. And you went, no, that's not news. That's like a personal relationship that went haywire between two people. Um, and that's not news. How does that help anyone? How does that impact or help anyone? And I thought that was a really great point, right? News in a lot of ways has become like gossipy because that's what gets our attention. And I think that's what people like often in coaching too, right? It's like, hey, here's my drama. This is exciting. We kind of like it. Help me fix my drama. Yeah, the, um, the saying that was all the rage when I was in the industry, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still used is if it bleeds, it leads. If there's an accident, a homicide, something, you called it scandalous, right? But essentially bad news, then it leads. And if you have pictures, if you have videotape, all the better. And the, the good news or the so-called features were saved for the very end of the newscast which we used to call the kicker of the show. But yeah, it's, it all has to do with context. And, you know, how are you relating to life? And people, people seem to respond to the scandalous, the tragic, the bad news. It's like, why do people stare at accidents when they drive by them on the street? I want to, the, I want to, I want to keep going with this, but I also want to transition a little bit because you have some great stories about, about being and about connecting with people. And this is a, this is a, a great tie-in between coaching and what you did in media, because right, as a coach, we have to connect with our clients. Um, there's no way that people are going to pay us and hire us if there's not a connection, um, especially as the field gets more and more competitive. Um, and I think the same thing with the news, right? When, when we watch the news, often the, the broadcasters are people feel like they can connect with them. I remember growing up, Katie Couric was right. was such a big deal. And I remember like my mom, like there was, it wasn't like my mom thought she, like they were friends or something, but there was this connection that came through that had people feel comfortable. Right. So what do, will you just share a little bit about like what you've learned about being, but the being of people between those two industries? Oh, wow. How much time do you have this morning? As, as much as you need. <laughs> unlimited minutes. <laughs> um, let's see. Being. 
Well, the, the first thing that I'll respond to is, you know, is how you said your mom felt like Katie Kirk was her friend. Um, a lot of that has to do with who and how people are being. And I think people have a tendency, whether you're a neighbor, a friend, a fellow student, a colleague at work, um, you know, a coach or a, a journalist, how you're being, that quality of life that you bring that is informed by your history and your habits and your culture um, determines the quality, at, you know, the quality of your relationships. One of the things that I learned early on in my broadcasting career is when people would meet me, they would go, oh my gosh, what you see is what you get. Like the person that you are on television, you really are in person. And I was always really um, proud of that fact because I, it, to me, it would just seem to take so much energy to be some manufactured persona and then to go home and be something else. So I learned early on that um, the more I could be myself, the more people could connect with me and that made for a rich audience. And of course, the same can be said for coaching. If, you know, it's, it's, it, it has to be a very unguarded experience for both the coach and the client, or there's going to be a barrier to connection, a barrier to communication, and a barrier to the full expression of possibility, right? If I'm protective and you're protective. Alex, I'm not sure you answered your question, or I answered your question. I mean, I, th I think you did a little. What I think the thing I was looking for is, yeah, just, just what did you learn about the being that we wouldn't have learned, right? As coaches, we learn about being, especially in a training program. We're really taught, because I know at least for me, Craig, I, I can't speak for you. When I came into the training program, I'd come from the restaurant industry. Now, when you explained being to me, I got it, right? I got that's what part of what made me successful in the restaurant business was how I showed up right? The, the, who I was being with customers and with my staff. But if you said to me, who are you being? I wouldn't have had any idea what that was. And I think that's such a big connection with not only the, the, the people in the media, but some of the celebrities or the, the people that you, you've interviewed, you spent time and, and interviewed like the Rolling Stones, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Howie Mandel, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, like these are all people that, that their being shows up in very different ways, but is also really powerful. Alex, do you want me to tell a story? Please go for it. <laughs> okay. What story are you going to tell? <laughs> and not so many words. No. <laughs> um, okay. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite stories that demonstrates um, being, I think, is when I was working for Good Morning America as a correspondent. Um, they sent me to the jungles of Puerto Vallarta to interview Arnold Schwarzenegger on the set of his movie Predator. And here's, here's who I was being about it. My being was, I, I, don't, I really, I don't, eh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, I was not excited. I knew he was a bodybuilder. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd ever seen any of his movies, but any of his movies that came out really were not my genre, right? Like I wasn't his ideal 
viewer. And I really wasn't excited about it. So who I, who was I being, you know, not especially open. I was essentially judging a book by its cover. And then as I started doing some research on him, learned fascinating things like he had a double degree and was uh, not only highly educated, but was already a multimillionaire because he had taken his winnings from bodybuilding competitions and invested wisely. Uh, and that was before he ever made his first movie. And so when I met him, I was completely charmed. He was handsome and funny and engaging and charismatic. And um, it seemed genuine. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a persona. But what I had made up, what I had made up in my mind about him was a persona. You know, so being is... Uh, Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. It, it gives us our quality and experience of life, don't you think? Yeah, and I, I know this, I mean, I've heard this story before and I love, I think you should keep telling the story because I think the, the connection that you made with him that got you the thing that you needed was based on who you were being. Will yeah. you share that? Yeah. So um, the main point of the interview was supposed to be about his movie Predator and about that time, maybe in the week or so before that interview, he and Maria Shriver married. And as I was getting ready to fly out, the producer said, we got great pictures. We are, we got to hold somehow pictures from um, Arnold and Maria's wedding. So be sure to ask about his wedding. I was like, okay, sure. And I wasn't the only person there. There was like a, it was like a uh, a junket, right? Like all the reporters, entertainment reporters, that kind of thing um, showed up and um, we're all kind of sitting in this area waiting for our turn to go do the interview. 
And uh, someone on Arnold's staff came up and, you know, gave us our marching orders. Okay, here's the materials for the movie. And don't ask any questions about the wedding. This is supposed to be about the movie. No questions. If you ask questions about the wedding, the interview will be over. Okay, and I'm sitting there trying to figure out how am I going to honor that and also do my job, which was to interview Arnold about the wedding and the movie. And a few people, you know, go do their thing, their interview. And I think it was the reporter from Entertainment Tonight left and he couldn't have been gone more than five or 10 minutes. And he came storming back into the area and we're like, what happened? What's going on? And he said, don't ask questions about the wedding. He stopped the interview. And he left and I'm like, okay, now, now what am I going to do? So finally, it's my turn uh, to interview him. And I ask him all the questions, all the obligatory questions about this particular movie and his movie career and his bodybuilding career. You know, like I just asked him every question I possibly could. And then I had to ask about the wedding. And I decided that it would probably be wise if I didn't actually ask a question. So I thought, you know, what could I say that would elicit a, a positive response and perhaps give me some information about the wedding? And what I said was, Arnold, I have to say, I, I happened to see a couple of pictures of you and Maria uh, on your wedding day. And I have to say, I have never seen two people look happier. Congratulations. And then I stopped talking and I was like, okay. You know, like, am I going to get the hook or the boot right now? And there was just this pause, like just a beat. And he said, oh, Denise, I, could, I, I couldn't be happier. I just love Maria so much. And the Shrivers and the Kennedys have embraced me. And, you know, and I'm just listening, you know. And, and I said, uh, interesting to, you know, mix a very highly visible Demo Democratic family and a Republican family. Again, notice it wasn't a question, right? And then I was quiet and he took off and running and he said, yeah, it makes for spirited conversations. And we ended up getting uh, so much in that interview that I think we might've actually had to have split into two pieces instead of just one piece. So it was being, right? Like I wanted to, I wanted to be in integrity for my job and I wanted to be in integrity with his wishes. And I think it, ultimately was who I was being with him. Like rather than trying to get a scoop, you know, just what would I say to someone genuinely? I would say, you look so happy, congratulations. And it made a difference. Yes, I, I love that story. And when I first began doing this work, I thought being was a little bit BSy. <laughs> it sounded woo woo, that just who you are, how you show up actually has an impact. And the more I do this work, the more, the more I have trust in that. I imagine that moment you really had to take a leap of trust that this was the way. And I know we have new coaches who listen to this and people looking to show up in the world in a bigger way. This is one of the things that we ask repeatedly is, you know, how, when you are attached to an outcome, you want the client, you want the interview, you want to get that, that good story. How do you be with that desire and choose being without that, that feeling of attachment that sometimes comes with it. Yeah, I, what I noticed, and I, I imagine this might be the case for you too, but what I notice is it actually gets easier 
the more we do it, the more we practice. And I find, and it's funny because I'm having to, uh, in hindsight, go back and look at what I know now as, a, as an ontological coach and apply it to my experience um, back then. But it's, you know, we get smarter as we age and we get better as we practice. And the more seasoned I am, the more able I am to get myself out of the picture. So this is kind of how I explain it in the program. In any conversation, but in especially in like a coaching conversation or, you know, or even a conversation with your neighbor, what we're typically doing rather than giving someone our full attention, our full listening, we're like, oh, that reminds me of the time that, oh, or here's how I can answer that question. Or I wonder what color her eyes really are. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if there were spotlights in every uh, conversation, typically they're both on ourselves, right? Like we're, how are we looking? What are we gonna say? That kind of thing. And with practice, we can do this, right? Like turn one spotlight, at least on the other person. And then as a coach, we really have to practice putting both spotlights on the other person, the client. And once we do that, that's when we can become unattached. And so that's, that to me is the thing to practice, at, not only as a coach, of course, as a coach, especially, but also as human beings. Is there anything, knowing what you know now, that, that piece that you just said, you get smarter as you get older. I really relate, like, the, it's the wisdom, right? It's not, you're not better at math. <laughs> you're, you're wiser. Um, is there anything that you look back on now, having 20 years of coaching experience, that you're like, oh, I wish I had this skill or leadership quality or communication or something like that back when you were in media that may have had it go different or, you know, this is a time traveling question, but if you could go back and you had something you had now, is there anything that you would, that would change? Oh, like, how does one even answer that question? Of course. Of course, and it didn't happen, right? But if I could go back, um, I think the biggest piece is the level of self-awareness that I have now. You know, um, that would, wow. Like if I knew when I was, forget, you know, at the beginning of, of my television career, like even earlier in life, that's why I said like, let's teach this stuff in school. Um, this sense of self-awareness so that people can not only be the liver of their lives, they can be the observer and the observed. It would just make such a huge difference. Um, how do I want to answer that question? I've learned so much about myself since becoming a coach. Because coaching is, is, has so much to do with our nature, human nature, and uh, one of the things that I learned early on is that I have this insatiable or had this insatiable need to be right. And I can see how that has played out in my personal relationships. Um, 
I can see it's how come I was a journalist. Do you get that? I mean, I was in a job where I was paid for my knowledge and my accuracy. I, I was paid to be right, you know? So <laughs> if I knew then what I know now about my tendencies as a human being, given my life, how I was raised, my experiences, um, all of my relationships, I think would have been largely improved because if I have to be right, what does that make the other person wrong? And can you imagine what it's like to be in a relationship where you always feel wrong? Yeah, probably a more specific answer that you were looking for. Were oh, you looking for something? Else? I think that I mean I think that is that's a great lesson for so many of us. Yeah, that we all like I can relate to that, and I've had to learn a lot of that the hard the harder way. Yeah, I think all relationships, you know, again, when we're in an argument with someone, both of the spotlights are on us. Typically, we don't stop to think about what's going on over there. Well, yeah, he said he or she said that that obscene or offensive thing to me, you know, so now I'm all up in my reaction about it, as opposed to. I wonder what's going on in that person's day that they would show up this way with someone like me who I know they love. Or if it's someone that, you know, you're not in a relationship with, but they're still being a jerk. It's so easy to react rather than think, oh, I wonder what happened to you, you know, because we don't know. It could be that, you know, they had a horrible life. Or it could be they're just having a bad day. Um, but relationship, I think, is the, the key area. You know, what I know now would make a huge difference, would have made a huge difference. And I had a great life. Let's make no mistake, right? <laughs> Denise, one of the takeaways I always get, whether I was in your group program or on conversations like these are, I feel like I get to be transformed in part by your being, like who you're showing up as. It doesn't get on me like a jacket, but I feel myself opening up to that same kind of ease or possibility or seeing life in a greater magnitude of what could be. So first off, grateful for that. <laughs> it's done a lot of good in my life having you here, Denise. But I'm curious for you and your experience doing deeper ontological work, the word vibration comes up sometimes. And being on the airwaves, being in media, I mean, if there's a greater way to magnify vibration than that, I can't imagine what it is. But what does it take to, to both source of being, like what Alex was mentioning earlier with Katie Couric, that can connect with so many people, but then to do it also from that authentic place, it, it totally, I think, throws out a whack an old story of mine of performance for achievement and comes from a whole different direction. Mm -hmm. You guys are lobbing some great questions over here today. We're auditioning for the news, you know, we, we might have a shot. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> um, Craig, will you repeat your question to me again? I could go so many ways with it. Yeah. Uh, how do you source that kind of being that connect with so many people? How do you source that kind of being? Oh, yeah. Of course, you would ask me a how question. So I can only speak from um, my perspective as an individual, like the how. Um, I think the, the first thing is it has to do with your relationship with yourself. 
what I love about the work um, that we do at Accomplishment Coaching in our coaches training program is we really take a look at the relationship with the self. How do we relate to ourselves? And one of the things that I discovered is I didn't know myself as well as I thought I did. And I thought, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I thought I had a pretty good idea of who I am. And I didn't really. I knew I was good at my job. Um, I knew I was a public figure. I knew I was a great mom. I loved my children. So often I find that we have a tendency to identify with the roles that we play in life or that have been, you know, and have been assigned to us. So I knew that I was a, a good mother and a good wife and I was great at my job and I was a good daughter and I was a community advocate and a public figure. So, but you can hear those are all kind of descriptors or roles rather than who I innately am as a human being. I had some self-awareness, some psychological awareness. I knew I was a good person. I really cared deeply about people. I mean, even the way I related to my job as a journalist, as a public servant, tells you a little bit about how I related to myself and how I kind of located myself uh, on the planet. But it wasn't until I began uh, my training as a coach, as an ontological coach, where we, where, you know, and, and ontology is the study of the nature of being of human beings that I started to learn so much about myself. Craig, bring me back. What was your question about being? Source and being for the masses. Source being. Yeah. Oh. So sourcing, whether you know you're you're a coach or a teacher or a mate or whatever, like just any human being is getting to know who you are. And we have, you know, we, have you discovered that like we all have a core wound and then we create our protective barrier so that our, that wound doesn't get hurt again or that people can't see it. And I think that's how we, we become a persona or a packaged version of who we are, as opposed to who we innately are. And I had, I think as we age, just in the world in general, with the world being the way it is, we have a tendency to hide who we authentically are. So we go out into the world with other people who are also hiding who they authentically are. So we're in relationship with produced images and we might be in relationship, but I think of it as kind of fake relationship because we're not being with people as our authentic selves. So they don't find something out about us and then not like us. So then they like us. They like the packaged version of us. And we have just put a barrier up to the experience of being loved, even for all our faults or who we authentically are. So that's what I mean. It's like fake relationship. So sourcing being, I believe, starts with knowing who you are and then falling in love with who you are. One of the things that I discovered is that I didn't like myself very much. I might even say there was self-loathing at times. I'm a perfectionist. 
And I have a high bar for myself. Of course, other people, but, you know, I can't even make it over my bar. And if I'm in relationship with people from that place, the quality and experience of that relationship isn't what it could be, right? I, I kept trying to perfect myself because internally I thought that I was flawed. Am I flawed? Of course, I'm a human being, but I, I found it hard to have compassion for the fact that I was human because I'm a perfectionist, you know? It, it's, it's an exhausting way to live, my people. <laughs> I wouldn't wish perfectionism upon you. It got me great goodies, right, in life. It helped me succeed. But ultimately, I was disconnected from my true self. Sourcing being, find out who you are, love who you are, to me is the biggest sourcing of being. And then anything that, that connects me to who I am. You know, for me, the Japanese call it forest bathing. I love going out into nature. I love for people who are listening who might be from San Diego. My favorite place to hike is Torrey Pines uh, Reserve that, you know, there's this bluff 200 feet above the Pacific Ocean. And I call it, you know, I go to Torrey Pines to walk in God you know, smelling the ocean air and feeling the sun and, you know, the sand underneath my feet. And I Japanese call it forest bathing. That source is being anything that brings me back to me, you know, and my connection to myself, other people and the earth, spirit, divine, whatever you want to call it, you know. What a heady and heart-based question, Craig. Wow. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, I really take away from that. There's, I think sometimes in the past, I've come to a sourcing conversation from a fixed me conversation place, which is, well, I'm not energetically where I need to be or want to be. And what you're suggesting is there's really a different place to hold our humanity and okayness. I think of stars like Kelly Clarkson and, and Cardi B, and, and we love them because of who they be, and and even their mess, and they they show up authentically without needing to get somewhere or fix something. So I really appreciate that clearing that you shared. That lands is very true in my heart. Yeah, it's what I love about the people that you have described and others like them is that. I can see myself in them. And that creates an instant connection. Oh, they're not just some star living in a mansion on a hill and have no problems. Um, they're just like me. And it's such a leveling experience. Yeah, it really is. And Craig, by the way, what I wanna say is right back at you. I follow you on Instagram. And one of the many things that I love about you is how unapologetically Craig you are and how you spread that message to uh, the people who follow you. I think it's so important. And when I see that, it reminds me, oh, it's actually okay to be me too, you know, because I have a lot more years practice than you do, you know, trying to make the world think that I'm perfect. So um, thank you for the work that you're doing. 
to remind people of that. Thank you so much, Denise, and I will take that with me to the bank. (laughs) Yeah, and Alex, you too, in your book, Fictional Authenticity, I mean, that's, um, I hear that in every conversation that we have, you know, you can be some manufactured version of yourself, some unaware version of yourself, or you can be authentically who you are. Yeah, and it's so, right, perfectionism, I think, like, looks so different for so many different people. As a man, I never identified with being a perfectionist. And if you look at my life, there's areas that you would go, of course, he's not a perfectionist. Look at like, you know, the details of his house or the way he runs his business. But then there's other things that you'd go, oh my God, he totally is. The way he has to show up and present himself in different times. And I think that perfectionism you, you and being shows, right? It shows up everywhere in so many different ways and how we share ourselves and how we connect. And as you were, if we had more time, you've told me stories about, you know, the Rolling Stones and Bill Clinton and Howie Mandel and these people that their being is what had you be able to connect with them and was pretty amazing. We don't have the time to jump into all these right now. Um, but there, the, there's a common theme that the, the more authentic people are, but true to themselves, the more we're able to actually connect with them and get into relationship with them fast. Um, Denise, is there anything I want, before I actually ask you our, our last question, um, I, I didn't know until a few minutes ago when I looked that you had a brand new website because the last time I looked, there was not a brand new website. <laughs> so congratulations on a new website. I want to let people know where they can find you there, which is Denise Yamada. I'm just going to spell it for people in case they can't. Um, D-N-I-S-E-Y-A-M-A-D-A dot com and you can find out everything about Denise there from coaching to coach training I know you're on social media too is there is there a social media handle you want us to share just Denise Yamada you'll find at Denise Yamada on Instagram and on Facebook you'll find me as Denise Yamada as well okay so last question which is actually really just to give you the the mic or the soapbox what do you want to share that maybe we haven't asked you about or that you haven't gotten to? Like, what's your final word in this conversation for this time? Because we'll probably have to bring you back and have a part two where you just share the gossipy good stories. I'm happy to come back. <laughs> um, so one of the things that you said in my introduction, you know, when you when you talked about all the different types of people that I coach, the one thing that they all have in common is ultimately they want to lead more meaningful lives. And if I would uh, boil that down even more, it would be everybody wants to be loved. You know, if you think about what we talked about earlier about this persona that we create or the protection we create around ourselves is so that people don't have to see the parts of us that we judge or we don't like because we're afraid if people saw it, they wouldn't like us or love us. And that's the thing that I think is so important to remember is that everyone just wants to be loved. Thanks, Denise. I think I, think I just want Craig to love me. That's, uh, that's <laughs> um, all right, let my, my being not tell you I love you, I love you so much. 
I'll send you a new Valentine's I get. I'm sorry my last one got lost in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Denise, thank you for being here with us, especially on short notice. We didn't even say that. Denise, you jumped in here on super short notice, like as in last night. Um, and we're willing to, to make this happen. So thank you for, uh, for just your availability and your love and your kindness, your generosity. Um, thanks for being a mentor for so many, including me and Craig. And thanks for supporting Christopher as he's built not only this podcast, but accomplishment coaching and his family. You've been by his side for so much of that journey. And so much of what he's built is a testament to his relationships with you and some of the other leaders and also what you all have added to the mix because he obviously did not do this alone um, or in a silo. So thank you for that because you made a difference for so many people, including, including me and Craig. Oh, thanks so much. I so appreciate it. My pleasure on absolutely every one of those counts or I wouldn't be here, wouldn't have done it. Everyone listening, thank you for being here. Uh, remember you can go Check out everything about Denise Yamada at deniseyamada.com. Craig, thank you. Thanks for jumping in. I think you are your last minute today also. So thanks for uh, making yourself available and being here with me. Uh, everyone, remember, you can go find everything about anything from the boardroom to the bedroom from Craig Cassie. He's an executive life coach, business and relationship coach, coaching naked on, you on YouTube. Craig Cassie, C-A-S-S-I-E.com and at Craig Cassie Jr. on Instagram. Craig, is there anything you want to say before we leave the show this week? Yes, thank you. And I hope if you take one thing away from these conversations that your being will always be sufficient if you nurture it. We just got to get back to trusting that. It makes life so much easier for all of us recovering perfectionists at least. So that's what I'm taking from Denise's share. And I hope that's a gift you ought to take and put into practice in your relationships and your life too. Thanks, Craig. And I am Alex Terranova, everyone's favorite recovering asshole. Can I say that on here? <laughs> that is my, that is my recovery. Um, people love when I say that, the recovering asshole, but I think it's true. Um, I'm Alex Terranova. I'm subbing for Christopher McCullough today on the coaching show. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have been able to do this. If you want to know more about me, my coaching practice, go to thedreammason.com. Check out Fictional Authenticity, my book on Amazon or wherever you download audiobooks. And you can find me on Instagram at inspirationalalex. Denise, Craig, everybody listening, thank you. We'll see you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.